your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 7. Mark, chapter 7, we are continuing. One of the things I love about preaching through a book of Scripture is you don't get to skip over the hard parts. You don't get to skip the passages that might be a little bit convicting for you or for someone in your church. But know this, when I preach through a passage of Scripture, I'm not sitting there going, boy, I sure hope so-and-so is in the building today, all right? Some of you might be hitting somebody beside you going, you need to pay attention to this, but I, that's not how I preach. In fact, oftentimes people are like, man, I can't believe, I mean, how do you get up there and preach knowing uh, some of the struggles that so many people in the church have? And I'm like, when I get up here to preach, my mind is so focused on preaching the word that I don't think about any of those other things, and I'm focusing on what God has for us. And, I love that, you know, what are some of the things that you do in your life that are traditions? All right, so I want you to think about it for just a second. What are some of the things that you do in your family? Maybe it's an annual tradition. Every summer, our family does this. Maybe it goes on a, a vacation or you have a certain place that you like to, to go and, and unwind after a school year. I was talking to some of these students that are wrapping up school within the next uh, two to three weeks. Some I think had five or six weeks left, and they'll be wrapping up. Uh, we have uh, people that are graduating this morning from high school, from a, a private school, and other people that are getting ready to graduate. Some that have just graduated from college, and uh, we rejoice with each one of them. And but what are some of the celebrations or the traditions in your life? Uh, I've said a couple times over the years. Uh, I am 47 years old, and to this day. Every year on my birthday, my dad makes me a triple layer devil's food chocolate cake with homemade cream cheese icing, all right? So uh, dad, you've got to live for a long time because I'm planning on being around for a long time. And uh, we don't get it at any other time and, and, and all throughout the year. If you request, he'll say, what do you want me to make uh, for this particular family event? And if I ever say devil's food, he's like, it's not your birthday. You don't get one of those except for on your birthday. And, and uh, Miss Danny, you're, you're laughing because you probably have certain uh, jam is it jambalaya that you guys make uh, from New Orleans. Uh, there's certain things that are traditions in our family. So think back, let your mind wander. What's a tradition? In your family, something that you do every Christmas. Maybe you invite open. How many open presents on Christmas Eve? Does any families open presents on Christmas Eve? All right, there's a, a number of you across the building. How many open up Christmas morning? All right, Christmas mornings when you open presents. How many have certain food traditions at Christmas? All right, there's certain things that you do that are a food tradition. What about uh, what about uh, Thanksgiving? How many have certain family traditions for Thanksgiving? Okay, traditions are a good thing. In fact, they're healthy because it's something that we look forward to. Uh, uh, my dad, every year getting out of school, we would go to the old. This was before Cary Town Center. This was the old Cary Village Mall. Anybody else remember that? If you're a, a local, if you grew up here, and there was a Pizza Inn. Remember the old Pizza Inn? There was a Pizza Inn right out in front, kind of where Jump Street, maybe, I think it's a, a, the Denver, the game place now. They've torn down the mall. And uh, but anyway, we'd go there and we would have our like end of year celebration. And it was a pizza buffet. I mean, nothing speaks 
a teenager's love language like an all-you-can-eat pizza buffet. They had chocolate pizza, and I'm talking... I mean, I'm still thinking that's going to be on the menu in heaven. Uh, chocolate pizza is right up there. Manna, you know, there'll be certain things in heaven. But uh, anyway, a chocolate pizza has got to be on there somewhere, especially as much as, as I like chocolate. But there's certain things that are traditions in our family. In our passage to this morning, we're going to see Jesus tangled with some of the Jewish leaders who cherish tradition more than they did God's word. They started saying, you know what? You're not doing it the way that our forefathers said. You're not doing it the way that the law says. And, and so Jesus took them to task on them and, and gave them a, a lesson, a, a schooling, so to speak. So I invite you to take the word of God. Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. But the Pharisees, all the Jews, do, uh, <clears throat> do, it, uh, do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the, to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches and the Pharisees and the scribes ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah say, did he prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, this people honors me with their lips. This next phrase is going to sting because it says, but their heart is where, church? Far from me. All right, they honor me with their lips, with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, he says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. I mean, talk about... I mean, it was getting hot in the room as, as Christ is calling them out on their, on, on their junk. And he says, but he says, verse, Moses says, honor your father and your mother. Whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit uh, him to do anything for his father and mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. The Jews were meticulous about obeying a multitude of laws in the Old Testament. The kosher laws had to do with things that were clean and things that were unclean. There were certain things, certain foods that were kosher. There were certain foods that weren't kosher. And I'll be I'm just straight up honest, I'm not sure I'd be a good Jew because I love barbecue, all right? And uh, it's not happening. I mean, it's not going to happen in Jewish culture. So if you frequent the Smithfields barbecue or would you just put in the name of your favorite barbecue place? Uh, we have a few places we've tried out. Uh, Chevis and I just won last a uh, few months ago, uh, downtown Raleigh. And I'm telling you, uh, you, you try some of these places and you're thinking, it's got to be on the menu in heaven, but not for the Jews. I mean, uh, they're not going to eat unkosher foods. But folks, just in case you're wondering, grasshoppers, they're okay. I mean, crickets, locusts, 
They're kosher. So uh, in case you're wondering what things you can eat this morning, there's certain things you can't, but you can eat all the locusts, crickets, and grasshoppers that you won't. Kind of sounds like a fish. And Jesus, uh, his disciples weren't eating with dirty hands. So kids, before you say, hey, the disciples didn't wash their hands. No, they didn't go through the ceremonial washings, but they cleaned their hands before they actually ate. And the Jews had the Old Testament law called the Torah. The most important laws were the Ten Commandments, but there were hundreds of other rules and laws that were given. And over the centuries, the Jewish rabbis, they, they wrote down, uh, added thousands of more rules and regulations. And these were called the, the oral law. And as it was passed down from generation to generation, eventually they were written down in what was called the, the Mishnah. Uh, Jesus didn't recognize or obey these oral laws. And this became a, a setting for Jesus to give us some important rules about tradition, about uh, certain right, about righteousness, about sin. And so let's look at a few of these and see why, what the importance is that Christ is trying to say. He says, first of all, there's a danger in replacing God's truth with man's traditions. Get a picture of that. Write that down because the reality is, is we live in a world where we're so caught up in tradition that sometimes tradition will trump the truth of God. And folks, if we're allowing tradition to set the standard of right and wrong and not God's word, we're all in deep trouble. We're all going to go astray. There's a, a danger in placing God's truth with man's tradition. Jesus turned the Jewish criticism into an opportunity to warn them that they had elevated the tradition of man above God's word. And the Jews had created a, a, a loophole, so to speak, called Corbin. The, the Ten Commandments taught that we must honor our father and our mother. And, uh, you know, as a, as a dad of four children, there's been many times, Jack, I've had to remind my kids, you know what? One of the Ten Commandments says, honor any other parent in the building have to do that some uh what would jesus say about this all right and so we're trying to teach our kids to obey to respect authority to to listen to to honor and obey your parents and all it goes not just the old testament to all over the new testament go to ephesians chapter 6 uh verse 1 to the ten commandments are taught we are to honor our fathers and our mothers means as long as our parents are alive we are to honor them. We're to respect them. We're to take care of them. And my parents modeled that with my grandparents and helping take care of them in their older years. And, and uh, then we're trying to uh, give back to my parents and, you know, and, our, and take care, help take care of them in this latter stages of their life. And he, so what the Jewish mafia had created a loophole, though, to this commandment. And they had a they had something that they would they would call it. They said that they would make a down payment uh, to the temple. And they said, "Hey, I'm devoting all of my assets, everything that I have left, I'm going to give to the temple." And so they would make kind of like a little token down payment. You know how some of us do on Sunday. Uh, and when it comes to giving, we, we give a little token gift to, to God and say, hey, don't touch me. Uh, I'm, I'm giving my little token gift. But they gave this little token gift. And so later on, if mom or dad needed a little help in taking care of them or meeting their needs financially, they'd go to their son and say, hey, son, we need some help in paying this bill or in this particular area of life. 
And the son would say, I'm sorry, I've already given all of my money to the church. All of it belongs to the temple, and so I can't really help you in your need. And it was a way of escaping having to follow and honor their parents. Sorry, mom and dad. Everything I have has been devoted. So what they did was they made a mockery of God's word. The Jews aren't the only ones who've replaced the word of God with tradition. Christians and the church at large has done this for uh, a couple thousand years now. And, and it's crazy. For the first 1,500 years uh, of, of the Christian church, there were thousands of rules and regulations that developed within the Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. And, and, and all of these things were all of these rules that they were to follow in order to gain God's favor. And it's, order to, it's important to understand that there are certain things that they came up with, uh, one's called papal infallibility. They taught that if the Pope spoke ex cathedra from the chair, that whatever the proclamation was, it was just as authoritative as the Bible itself. And church, that's blasphemy. He's just a person. Word of God is already complete. And so what they, what they were teaching was blasphemy. Before you get too caught up on, well, that was the, the Catholic Church or the Eastern Orthodox Church. And, and the, then in the 15 year, 1500, uh, there was a group of Protestants uh, that uh, challenged the, uh, the protest of the authority of the Pope. And they're called Protestants. And uh, their defining doctrine was sola scriptura, which means scripture alone. And uh, even the Protestants, though, would begin to develop, and they came up with their own traditions. And, uh, in fact, in the Presbyterian Church, I said this uh, uh, a few years ago, they got to a tradition of wearing a hat in worship. Men would wear a hat, and they couldn't even tell you why they wore a hat. They just, all the men would wear a hat, and they would take it off whenever they prayed, and they were put it back on. Sometimes you see people coming to church and they've got a hat on. You're like, man, you can't. I mean, I was brought up. You didn't wear a hat to church. I mean, it was just kind of. But back in the day, they did in the Presbyterian church. And they would wear a hat. And no one knew why. Come to find out what it was, was the rafters were open air. And pigeons would build nests up in there. And they would poop on your head. And so the men would put a hat on to keep from getting pooped on during the middle of the service. So hopefully, you know, to God that it didn't poop during the middle of prayer. But anyway, we're going to digress and, and try to move on. But the church of uh, John Calvin was used to wearing a hat for hundreds of years. There are certain traditions that become norm in our church. Before you think we're picking on the Catholics or the Presbyterians, the Baptists probably have some of the worst traditions of all. Martha, you grew up the, the daughter of a, of a Baptist preacher. And I'm telling you, uh, we have our own set of rules. I mean, <laughs> we create rules upon rules upon rules. And, you know, there, there's certain things that are understood. Um, you know, back in the day, we all wore a suit and tie every Sunday to church. It's not right or wrong, but it's tradition. That's what we do. In fact, I have traveled to many places in India where there's not a suit store for hundreds of miles 
And yet they're wearing a suit in there. Why? Because someone from a Baptist church years ago came to their country wearing a suit. And so now they feel like they've got to wear a suit and tie to arrive. When I go to Nicaragua, certain churches I preach in, it is 99 degrees, all right? And I have to put on a suit and tie to go preach in their pulpit. There's no air, folks. And I'm talking like we're sweating like you've never sweat in your life. And you've got to wear a suit and tie because it's a tradition. Uh, there's also certain things. Back in the day, uh, women didn't wear uh, pants to church, all right? Uh, and anybody else remember growing up like that? I mean, you did not go to church in a pair of pants. I mean, it was just, you're going straight to the pit, all right, you know? And so if, this morning, if you're not wearing a suit or you're wearing pants, we are all going to hell, all right? I mean, that's just how it is. We've created certain rules. There are certain people that make rules that Baptists can't dance. Now, I've seen some Baptists, and I can tell you most of them, they can't. <laughs> they shouldn't be, but uh, some of them do. Uh, there's a certain rules about not playing cards. And growing up in the day, my dad said, he said, we never really understood why, but we were not allowed to play cards in our house. I mean, just was not going to happen. I mean, you're going straight to hell. And, I mean, so some of us would get together and play cards, and we called it a prayer meeting because it was safe in uh, Baptist land to say you were having a prayer meeting at your house rather than playing cards, and there was no gambling. Don't worry, nobody was losing any money or anything uh, unethical was going on. But anyway, uh, but there were certain traditions of man that have crept in to every single church denomination, and if we're not careful, they take precedent over the Word of God. We see, secondly, religious practices will never make us acceptable to God. The reason we like tradition, whether it's Washing of our hands or dressing up and putting on a, a, a suit or tie or a, a fancy dress is that something we can do outwardly that we feel good about ourselves. Think about it. Certain people get up on Sunday morning and we're, you know, we talk about giving God our best, but we're not wearing a tuxedo on Sunday morning. I don't see any of you ladies wearing evening gowns that you would wear to the Met Gala. No, I don't see any of these things being worn to church, but we, we talk about having giving God our best. It's really our heart. It's the condition of our heart being right with God. I want God to receive my worship, my praise, and it's all about him and exalting his name, making much of Jesus. Jesus told that righteousness was an amount, a matter of outward religious practice, but it was a matter of inward affection towards God. He said in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, he says, Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and many such things you do. The Jews had many more of these tedious oral laws. In fact, for instance, it says this, if a Jewish man was for carrying a pot and he bumped into a Gentile along the way, he would have to bust that clay pot and none of the pieces of clay could be bigger than his big toe. <laughs> I mean, how ridiculous can we get? So Beth uh, was uh, gracious enough to loan me some uh, pieces of pottery. She's a potter. And 
I'm sitting here looking at them, and I'm not sure this is probably bigger than my big toes. I'd have to smash this one. So maybe this piece would be sufficient. Uh, it's not bigger than my big toe, but do you see how ridiculous we've gotten? I mean, it was so crazy that if it came in contact with the Gentile, uh, you had to bust it up until it was smaller than your big toe. That, that's a, a rule within the temple. Jesus called the Jews hypocrites. He said they honored God with their lips, but their mouths, their hearts rather, were far from God. The word hypocrite comes from a word that means an actor. And a hypocrite is someone whose walk doesn't match his talk. The problem, though, with religion is that it's man's attempt to earn God's acceptance by following prescribed set of rules. The reason that legalism thrives, even in 2022, is it's about feeling good that I'm doing all of these things and somehow God is pleased. He's checking off every box. And this morning, if you came to church to check a box in God's big picture, folks, you've missed the entire point of why we come to worship. If you brought your Bible or you read your Bible just to click a box and say, yes, I've had my devotions for today, or I've, I've, I've given a tie, check, I've done that. Folks, we're missing what it means to have a personal relationship with God. That's why it's called religion. But folks, the religion is cold and dead. What he wants us to have is a relationship that's deeply rooted in the word of God and talking to God, communicating with God daily. The problem with religion, it's, it's our attempt to gain God's acceptance. But according to Revelation 20, one day in the future, all people, all lost people will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. And the Bible says that the books will be open. One is the book of life for those who've been redeemed. Their names have been written in the book of life. And those of us, uh, as we long for that day when we stand before God. But folks, those that don't know Jesus, their names are not written in the book of life. And, and people will... People will look and they'll say, hey, all these good things I've done. I've gone to church. My name was on the roll. I was baptized. I was christened. I, I gave money. I helped the poor. My good deeds outweighed my bad deeds. And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. In other words, all of the religious rules that were followed does not earn a right relationship. In fact, Here's the nature of God's law. James chapter 2 says, if you break only one single law, we're guilty of breaking all. So God gave the law so that no person would be able to plead innocence and ignorance of God's law. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So how many of you will be declared righteous this morning by performing all of these religious acts? Say, Pastor, I don't dance. 
I don't drink. I don't play cards. I don't do all of these things. I, I always wear an evening gown to church. I always wear a suit and tie to church. I have my 42-pound Bible under my arm. I do all, and we're laughing, but do we not do these things? Sometimes we, we're, we're consumed with all the things that we are doing. He already did all of the work on the cross. All of us, he says, with this truth, Jesus moves on to address the true nature of sin and righteousness. And folks, it has nothing to do with the way we wash our hands or whether we eat barbecue or catfish. In fact, thirdly, he says, we sin because we're born with what, church? We're born with a bad heart. Every single one of us are born sinners. We are born, we're conceived in sin, we're born in sin, and we, we have a sinful heart. We sin because we're born with a bad heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick or wicked. Who can understand it? In other words, our, our, our life is, is bound by sin. We're living in chains and bondage. There are two basic schools of thought uh, of, about human goodness and evil. A humanist says all people are basically good at heart. But, but uh, they say that because of a lack of education, because of poverty or a poor environment or association with bad people, people gradually fall into evil. But the other position is totally different. It's that man is basically born with a sin nature and must be redeemed by Jesus Christ. And folks, this is the position of the word of God. We are all born from Adam in the Garden of Eden. Everyone after that is born in sin. We're not breaking bad this morning. We're born bad. We're born sinners and you can put a, a three-year-old toddler on the floor, and we've gone through that three-year-old stage four different times with four different kids. And you don't have to, you can put them on the floor with a, a, a bag full of, of candy, and then you can put some other toddlers all around them, and they don't just start sharing, folks. <laughs> no, they say, mine, mine. And they're holding on to their stuff. They're holding on to their toys, holding on to their candy. And you don't have to teach a child to lie. You have to teach them to tell the truth. We don't have to teach our kids uh, not to, we have to teach them to share because we're selfish by nature. We're sinful. A kid, I've watched six-month-olds throw complete, complete temper tantrums. You ever get in the grocery store and there's a child that's coming unhinged? I mean, now I'm just, I'll go down a different aisle. <laughs> I'm just going to skip that. I've already been down that road. I'm not judging anybody. I mean, I, we've had moments where we've left entire carts full of groceries and gone home because we were having a four-alarm fire in, in the Fruity Pebbles aisle. And, you know, you're sitting there going to yourself, there is no winning from this situation. We're just going to have to walk away. And, you know, God help us. I mean, we're going to have one of those moments when somebody like, that was me yesterday, Pastor. You're looking at my household. You're seeing what's happening. But we don't have to teach someone to sin. We're born sinners. And folks, what happens is nobody has to teach us to lie. We do that naturally. We have to be taught to tell the truth. The English playwright, a comedian, Noel Coward, once played a, a practical joke. And 
He wrote an anonymous letter to 10 prominent influential people in London. And the letter said, we all know what you've done. If you don't want to be exposed, leave town. It was a joke, but they said over the next six months, all 10 of those people moved. What's that tell you? All of us are sinful people. Our hearts are far from God. And Jesus used this occasion about clean and unclean traditions to teach us the source of human sin. And picks up in verse 14. He says, he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you. He says, understand, there's nothing outside of a person that's going into him can defile them. But the things that come out of a person are what? Defile him. When he'd entered the house, he says, and left the people. His disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you without, also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. He says all of these things come from within, and they do what, church? They defile. What's he saying? He says, you're putting all the emphasis on all of the wrong things. It's all about, well, I've got to wash my hands. I've got to break this pot. I've got to do all of these rules and regulations in order to gain the right relationship. And he says, I can't eat all of these things that they're not kosher. And of course, when Jesus spoke about the evil that comes from the human heart, he's not talking about uh, the organ that in our chest is pumping blood uh, every second of every day. He's not talking about that. He was referring to the heart as the control center of our lives. The heart is the, the seed of, of everything that's happening. It's the part of our personality where our moral decisions and choices are made. In fact, what it says in Romans 10 is with our heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made to salvation. It's in the core of who we are. The decisions will be made to choose to live for Jesus or to live for ourselves. So he's saying it's out of our hearts. We choose whether to follow Jesus or we choose to reject him. But choice is up to you. The problem today with man is a heart problem. Every single one of us is born with a sinful heart. Say, so Pastor, how do we land this plane this morning? How, what's the application? That's the bad news. We all have a sinful heart. But it's only bad news that makes the good news so good. If I said to you, your house isn't on fire, you'd probably look at me like, going, do what? <laughs> your house isn't on fire. What are you talking about? What if I said I saw smoke in your neighborhood and I saw a fire truck headed down your street, but 
your house isn't on fire. And then you're like, oh, whew. Two years ago, that happened to us. <laughs> My wife and I had only been married about a year and a half. And one of our church members lived right around the corner from us on the street right beside our house. And she called me. She said, Pastor David, I don't, I don't want to scare you, but I just passed your house and there were fire trucks at your house. And I'm sitting here going, what in the world? I mean, I called my wife, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. She's not answering the phone because the fire department's at her house. And so I get in the car, and I drive to Fuquay, and I, I get out. And there's like four fire trucks and all. I'm trying to figure out what's going on at my house. And when they tell you the self-cleaning oven, you know, cleans your oven, it doesn't mean you don't have to clean all if something overflowed in your oven. You got to get that out before you turn on the self-cleaning. And so, you know, when you have an overflow, it, sometimes it happens and uh, it overflowed and, you know, we turned on the self-clean and before long there's a fire in the oven and, and we're sitting here wondering how to turn this thing off. But once you start the process of the self-cleaning oven, I mean, it's not turning off. I mean, you can't open it. It protects it from having a backdraft on you. And so uh, it's a fire and the fire truck shows up and I pull up in the house and here's my stove sitting out in the yard and, uh, and, and there's fans on and all the windows are open and my wife is about to kill me right now for telling the story on this, but everybody was okay. You know, nobody was injured in the making of that that fire but uh, anyway all those things I say is when I tell you your house is not on fire it doesn't mean as much as when I, you find out there was a fire on your street and but it wasn't your house the reality is is all of us have a sinful heart he's not trying to patch up our old sinful heart he wants to give us a new heart he wants to cleanse us, forgive us, make us righteous before God. And Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit. I'll put within you and remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus told the hyper-religious Pharisee Nicodemus, he says, he would never be good enough to see the kingdom of, of heaven. He said, you must be born again. And when you're born again spiritually, God gives us a new heart. He gives us a fresh start and he forgives us of all of our sin. Cast it into the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west. Heard that song recently. As far as the east is from the west, he's forgiven our sins, never to be remembered anymore. I love that. You see, what happens is it has nothing to do with our adherence to all of these list of rules. It has everything to do with what Jesus already accomplished when he died and he was buried and he rose again. This morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, he'll forgive it. He'll forgive you and he'll cleanse you and make you just as if you had never sinned. What an awesome picture 
of the love of God and, and, and the gospel. First, Second Corinthians chapter five says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold what church? The new has come. He's reestablished us, folks. He gives us a new heart. I wonder this morning, would you like a new heart? Would Jesus has a heart full of grace and forgiveness, and he offers to become a permanent resident in our heart. You know, oftentimes we talk to children, we talk about inviting Jesus into your heart, but folks, we're accepting in the core of who we are. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and the best way I know how I confess, I repent, I turn from my sin, and I accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And dying and rising again is payment for my sin. He wants to be a permanent resident in our heart. Salvation isn't a matter of the head. You can't think your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. It's not a matter of the hands. It's a matter of the heart. And folks, God is offering the free gift of salvation this morning. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to, don't leave the service. Don't turn off the, the online service until you've given your heart and your life to Jesus Christ in salvation. He desires to radically transform in John chapter 19, we read that says Jesus was drying on a cross, a Roman soldier pierced his side with a spear. The word of God says that water and blood flowed out of his wounds. It indicated he literally died of a rupture and of a broken heart. But folks, he did that so that you and I could have a new heart. You can follow every law of man. You can follow every tradition of the church and still die in sin because the problem of the matter is a sinful heart but the beauty of the gospel is that jesus wants to do greater things in our lives and in his church and we must receive him as lord and savior folks and yield to the holy spirit's control so that he can accomplish his greatest work in our lives this morning. Heavenly Father, would you speak to hearts today?